Well, good evening, guys. Uh, like Lauren said, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and it is great to be with you. And so I've been in ministry for uh, 20, 23 years now. All right. And I've never heard an audience respond to announcements the way you just did. That was awesome. All right. There you go. So what I'm expecting, um, maybe not quite that rowdy while I'm preaching, but if you could give me some feedback like that, it would make me feel a lot better about myself. All right. So um, that was awesome. I, that's when you like, that's when your chance to yell right there was like, that was awesome. Like, there you go. Yes. That's what I'm going for. That's what I'm going for. All right. So um, thanks for letting the old guy show up tonight. Um, have more gray hair than all of you combined. Um, and I'm not the oldest one here, though. I'm, don't tell Jim, but Jim playing electric. Jim's way cooler than I am because he can, like, rip up an uh, electric guitar. But he's the, he's the oldest one in the room, not me. All right. So, um, oh, shoot. Didn't know he's back there listening. All right. All right, so let's jump into it. So I have a friend that uh, nine years ago went viral, all right? So um, some of you, I don't know, you were like nine at that time, some of you, but um, he, he was a, he's a photographer, he's a graphic designer, and um, just really talented guy. He would also go video and take photographs at weddings. And so nine years ago, he took this picture uh, that later uh, became dubbed as the greatest wedding photo ever, all right? Now, a lot of people have copied it since then, but this was the picture that he did, all right? So um, a lot of people have Photoshopped things in since then, but when my friend made this picture, he knew the couple, he knew all the people in the wedding, and the couple, they love dinosaurs. I have no idea why, but they love dinosaurs. So he was like, oh, this would be fun, like before the wedding, we'll just... What I'll have you do is the whole bridal party, what I want you to do, I'm going to say, hey, look, there's a T-Rex running behind you. You just sprint. I don't want you to like fast walk. I want you to sprint and I want you to act like there's a real dinosaur chasing you. And it was one take, took like 30 seconds. And he did this later in Photoshop. And then the next week he like shared it on social media and it went crazy. Like all of a sudden, all these news stations are calling him, magazines, websites are posting it everywhere. Uh, if you Google greatest wedding photo ever, this is probably one of the ones that will come up at some point. But I remember uh, I was actually working with him at a church at the time, and um, I was like, man, his name was Quinn, and I said, Quinn, like, are you, are you like, making money off of this? He was like, I don't care. Like, I just did this for my friends. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not trying to get like, popular because of this, but it was like, it went from like zero likes and shares to like a crazy amount, like, I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands very, very quickly. And it was the first time I'd ever ex experienced somebody close to me. I don't know that anybody since then has gone viral. I don't know a lot of cool people. But um, anyway, so it was just crazy that he had done this thing with no desire to be seen. And then all of a sudden, he was really well known. I think that's the exact opposite of how our world operates, though. Our world operates in Please, what can I do to create some content to get other people's attention, right? We live in this world to be seen by others. Like, we often crave to be seen by others, right? Like, there literally are people, influencers, that create content. That's everything that they do. And as they create content, it is, how can I get more people to see me? How can I get more attention? Because the more attention I get, the more money I get paid, right? Right? And there's just this 
craving for other people to see the things that you do. And my concern for all of us that call ourselves Christians is that that same idea seems to creep into our own spiritual lives. How can I practice my faith and live out my faith in a way that other people take notice? Like, how can I worship so that, I mean, I'm, I'm going to close my eyes. I don't want anybody looking at me, but I'm going to make a big deal about who I am. Is there anything wrong with that? No, unless you're making a big deal about you, right? And you're like, man, I just want people to see. Like, I might sit behind that cute girl that I like so I, she can hear my angelic voice when I'm worshiping, right? Like, she's like, please stop singing so loud in my ear, right? But you have all these practices... Even in our spiritual walk, like, how can I look good to other Christians? How can I look good for Salt Company staff? How can I look good for Veritas staff? How can I look good to when my parents see a picture of Salt Company, they see me doing something cool, right? <clears throat> and we can mess our spiritual lives up where we're craving to be seen by others over and over and over. Now, we're in this series called Holy Habits. In this series, you guys are talking about a lot of different habits in life, in the spiritual life. The one we're going to talk about tonight, well, there's two, prayer and solitude, but they go together. So we're going to talk about prayer and solitude tonight. <clears throat> now, most everybody in the world prays, right? Whether you believe in God you, you're probably praying to somebody you don't know, you don't know what to say, you don't know where to pray, but if something goes crazy in your life, even if you don't believe in God, you start crying out to somebody, like, please help me, God, get me out of this situation, right? Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you just start praying. If there's somebody out there, please help me in this situation. You know, we pray for Nashville this week. We pray for Turkey when an earthquake happens, and these kind of things get thrown out there because everybody in some way kind of values prayer. Is it possible for something so valuable to so many people to actually be done the wrong way though? Is it possible for us to pray and it's such a great thing, but can you do the right thing the wrong way? Absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. And Jesus cautioned his disciples about this kind of faith, especially when it comes to their praying, all right? So what we're going to look at, if you got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6, all right? In Matthew 6, um, Jesus is preaching what most people would call the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. So he is preaching this sermon, and it's all about how do you live your life in a way that is dedicated and pleasing to God, and he's going to hit on a lot of different things in this. So how do you live your life in a way that's pleasing and dedicated to God, okay? And as he's doing this, he's going to start talking about prayer. How do you pray in a way that is pleasing to God and is dedicated to God, all right? So in Matthew 6, verse 1, this is the context that we're going to look at tonight. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven so 
What we have here, it says, beware of practicing your righteousness. Now, so understand this. We got to know what righteousness is, all right? Righteousness means right standing before God. And like its most basic term, when you stand before God, you want to be, you want to have righteousness. You want to have a right standing before God, right? You don't want to stand before God one day and him be like, uh, we're not, we're not good here. Like you can't stand before me. You can't stand in my presence. Now, as we get to the end of the sermon, we'll talk more about Jesus, but the only way that we can enter a holy, righteous God's presence is through perfect righteousness, because not one single person in this room, including myself, is righteous. Romans 3 would say that nobody's righteous, no, not one. So how do we get this righteousness? How do we get this right standing before God? Well, it's, that's the beauty of the gospel, that Christ would die for us and he would take on our sin and we get his righteousness. So this is a good thing, but this righteousness really shows like this is what we believe in. So he says, beware of practicing what you believe in and what you depend on. Beware of that, practicing that. Why? Why did he say watch out? Why did he say pay attention to practicing your righteousness? Now, practices of righteousness, those are the holy habits, right, that we're talking about. It's, it's worship, it's prayer, it's confession, it's fasting, it's Bible reading, it's evangelism, it's serving, and all these kind of things that go, oh, I believe in this. Because I believe in this, I'm going to live a certain way and put certain practices into place. So I'm going to have my righteousness, my right standing before God, it's going to come through Christ. I'm going to put that in practice. So what Jesus is saying here is, hey, watch out. Pay attention because you can actually practice your righteousness, practice your beliefs, practice your dependence upon God in the wrong way. Now, what does he say? Practicing, beware of practicing your righteousness. Is practicing your righteousness a good thing? Yes, absolutely. That's when, that's when I need some of that feedback right there. Like, is practicing your righteousness a good thing? Yeah. There you go. There we go. All right. Yes, it is a great thing. And he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Is it okay to practice your righteousness before other people? Sure it is. It is totally okay. There is nothing wrong with being in this room and praising God together. God commands those things. So there's nothing wrong with practicing your righteousness. There's nothing wrong with practicing your righteousness with other people. But what does he say here? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. In order to be seen. Now this idea of to be seen is to put on this like spectacular theatrical performance. That you are an incredible actor and you're going to put on this performance. Look how awesome of a Christian I am. Look how I worship. Look how I serve. Look how I do all these things. Jesus is going, whoa, 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 whoa. Pay attention to that. Watch out because you get in a dangerous spot if that's the way that you're going to practice your righteousness. Practice what you believe and practice what you depend on. So when we talk about this in the context of prayer, I'm going to give you the main idea of what we're going to talk about, and then we'll flesh it out. It's this. How you pray reveals what you live for. How you pray reveals what you live for. 
Guys, your prayer life is a window into what you believe and what you depend on. So let's jump into this passage of Scripture and see how, you, how praying shows what you believe and what you live for. We're going to start in verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he says, when you pray, and he's going to say this multiple times throughout what we're going to look at. When you pray, so is prayer a good thing? Yeah. Yes. Somebody in, there you go, right there. Yes, prayer is a good thing. Absolutely. And Jesus is assuming prayer is the part of a disciple's life. So at this Sermon on the Mount, what you have is a bunch of people, crowds following Jesus. And he walks up kind of on top of this mountain because everybody's following him. He sits down in a rock and he calls his closest followers to him, his disciples. And he says, hey guys, I want to teach you how to live this life that glorifies me. So he's teaching his closest followers. But there's other people around. There's other people around watching just going, hey, I, I kind of like this Jesus guy. I kind of like his followers right now. I just want to check him out a little more. But he's really teaching his disciples. So he's saying, when you pray, prayer is expected for the believer. Jesus expected it for his disciples. But what this text is going to teach us is how to pray. How to pray and what to pray when you pray. And he starts out with the negative. Don't do this. Don't be like the hypocrites. Literally, when it says hypocrites, it means to interpret from underneath. So in the Greek culture, you would have actors or actresses, and they would wear a mask. And they would wear this mask. So you've got this one thing that's being portrayed to the audience, and you're literally speaking from underneath the mask. So you could speak however you want, because this is what everybody's going to see. They're all going to see the mask. They don't really know who's behind the mask, but you're just putting on a show. He goes, when you pray, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't be somebody who pretends to believe in God. Don't be a pretender when you pray. Now, why not? Why not be like the hypocrites? It says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. They love being seen by others. They treasure being seen by others. They value and crave being seen by others. Now for them, the context was they would go out on the street corners and they would get, go into the Jewish synagogues and they would stand up. And these hypocrites who would put on this front that, oh, I'm awesome with God, they would stand up on the street corners, stand up in the synagogues, and they would pray these like amazing, eloquent prayers. And everybody would gather around and be like, oh, that's a, that, that person is so godly. And Jesus is going, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Because what the whole audience doesn't know is what I know about their hearts. And their hearts are, I just want to be seen by other people. I just want to be seen by other people. Now, that's not our context, is it? Like if you show up at Co and you jump up on a, a bench in the, you know, on campus and you start praying some eloquent prayer, you're going to get some attention. But it's not because everybody thinks you're godly, right? They're going to be like, whoa, that person lost their mind. 
It's just not cool to do that anymore. In this context, yeah, it was kind of cool to do that. But in your context, it's not really cool to do that. So how does this apply to us? The principle that we all can take for all time, whether you're in the synagogue or you're on Co or Kirkwood's campus or somewhere else, like the principle is, hey, don't pray so that you can just be seen by other people. That's not how this works in Jesus' world. In Jesus' culture, in Jesus' economy, you don't pray to be seen by other people. But it might say something like this if we were to apply it to us. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father. But don't take a picture of your Bible and your journal and your pen and your coffee cup and then post it on social. Now, is there anything wrong with that picture? No. If you've done that before, like chill out, all right? Maybe you did it today, chill out, I don't know. I don't, I'm not on social media, so I have no idea if you did it or not, all right? They're like, he looked at my social media before I came. I didn't. I don't know you, all right? Um, so, but you know, there's nothing wrong with that picture. There's nothing wrong with that picture unless you like, you post it like to Facebook and you're like, oh, nobody has Facebook. Yeah, you do because you want your grandma and your mom to see it, right? You're like, oh, they're going to think I'm more godly living off at college if I do that. Or you post it on like every other social media account that you have that your grandparents don't have, right? Snapchat, TikTok, whatever it may be, right? Because you want somebody else to take notice. Maybe you do want the salt staff to take notice. I know I've been struggling lately, but if I put this great picture of me and and my solitude and my prayer time out there, salt staff's going to think I got it together. Or that, that boy that I like, he might like it a little better. The girl that I like, she might think I'm more godly, might pay attention a little more. In our prayer life, in our life in solitude and communion with God, is all there simply to be seen and approved by, by everybody else. Jesus is saying, not the way to live a pleasing life before God, your Father. It's not how you do it. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. But if the reason you're posting that is to get other people's attention and other people's approval, we're missing it. Because what's it say about him? It says, but when you do this at the end and your father, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. But before that, it's like, truly I say to you, they have received their reward already. When you pray and you put your righteousness on display just for other people, you got your reward. What was your reward? Oh, somebody paid attention temporarily. And it brought some temporary satisfaction to get the approval of somebody else that I long to get the approval for. I love and I treasure their opinion so much, I don't really care even what my spiritual life may say to God, because I just want somebody else that's so much lower than God to take notice. Because that's how the hypocrites prayed. They say they believe in God, but they pray as though he doesn't exist. 
Because what this would say is like, okay, how you pray, if you're just praying to be seen, what you're really saying is, I don't really believe God's that close. So I don't think he can satisfy me. And what I really need me to satisfy me is somebody else's approval. I need somebody else's approval. I need somebody to see me, somebody else to know me, somebody else to be impressed with me, and somebody else to value me. And what you're saying to God when you pray that way is, God, your approval isn't good enough. Your approval isn't good enough. When Christ died on the cross and he changed your identity forever, you're saying that's not really sufficient. That's not going to satisfy. Guys, God approves of you not because of your works. He approves of you because of what Jesus did. That's an amazing, that's the good news. But what you're saying when you go and pray and practice your righteousness just to be seen by other people, what you're saying is that, you know what, that whole Jesus dying on the cross thing, that's not good enough for me. I need something in addition to that, man's approval. So you start believing a bunch of lies. And what the lies that you're believing is that life is about you and that you are more important. But he says, hey, don't pray that way, right? He says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. This whole idea is that go into your room, shut the door, find a place where you can withdraw, where you can shut down the world. Maybe you turn off your phone, don't go try to like spend time with the Lord, and pray like while everybody's in your living room, hanging out. It's probably not going to be an easy time for you to talk to God, and it's going to be a great temptation for you to just look good in front of other people. Now again, there's nothing wrong with praying with a group of people. Not at all. Jesus did that. The early church did that. We do that here. There's nothing wrong with that, unless the heart behind it is to be seen, Okay. So he says, this is where you you go and you withdraw and you shut the world out. This is where prayer and solitude go together. Now, Jesus modeled this himself. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, I think we got that. It says, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. That's how Jesus lived his life. Hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up really early in the morning and then I'm going to go to a place where nobody can interrupt me. And I'm going to pray because Jesus had no desire to be seen by other people in this way. Like it was about a relationship with his father, like this intimate relationship that he had with his father. Now, what's crazy right before this in Mark 1.28 says this, maybe, and at once, so Jesus has been healing these people. He's been doing all this amazing stuff. And it says that once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So Jesus has become so popular. He's got all the attention, right? And then in verse 33, all these people show up and it says the whole city was gathered together at his door. He's got all this fame spreading. He's got all the attention. It's amazing. Everybody shows up at his door. 
And he begins to heal a few people. And then what comes two verses after this? What we just read. And then Jesus goes. When he has all the fame, right? He has all the fame. Crowds gathered at his door. When he could say, look at me, look how awesome I am. What does Jesus, the Savior of the world, do? He withdraws to a desolate place, and that's where he goes and prays. That's pretty amazing. So like when we read this, we're like, this seems kind of crazy. This is how Jesus lived his life. Pray in secret. Get away. Get up early. Turn your phone off. Can you pray at other times with your phone beside you? Sure. I hope you do, because in other parts of the scripture, it says pray without ceasing. But the goal, the principle behind all this is don't do this to be seen. Don't do it to be seen. All right, let's, Jesus keeps going, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So when you pray, Disciples, you're expected to pray. Don't be like the hypocrites. Now he's going to contrast another group. Don't be like the hypocrites and don't be like who? The Gentiles. Now the Gentiles for this day, in this time frame, these were the pagans. That's who all the Jews thought they were. This is the other group. You weren't God's chosen people. You were those other people, those non-believers. The non-believers were praying, right? They're praying. And how are they praying? They're just heaping up all these empty repetitious phrases over and over. It looks really good, but the whole design behind these, these guys, the whole heart behind it was this. What they would do is they had all kinds of gods that they worshiped. So what their hope was is we're just going to repeat the same things over and over and over and over and over. We're going to have really good words that sound eloquent and awesome like big words, we're going to say it over and over because our hope is that one of our gods would get tired of us saying the same things and then he would give us what we want. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like those people who just heap up thoughtless, endless repetitions, many words, just saying what you think's the right thing to say when you pray. Like to repeat things in your prayers is okay. To just do it with an empty heart, it's not okay. Again, our prayer life isn't the life that we have to get noticed. So why do we not pray like this? Because it says the Father knows what you need. He knows what you need before you ask it. Guys, your big words when you pray, your fancy phrases when you pray... They don't impress God. He's God. His vocabulary is way bigger than yours. Way bigger. And sometimes we think, well, I'm just going to use these big words because that's when Jesus is going to pay attention to me. That's when Jesus is going to pay attention and then he's going to know what I need. You don't think Jesus already knows what you need? Of course he does. He knows everything. So there's smart people in the room. You're probably going, well, why do I pray then? Like if Jesus already knows everything, why do I pray? Because it's about a relationship with the Father. When you pray, it's not just get what, going to God and saying, give me what I need. Give me what I want. He already knows that. It's a chance for you to be 
in connection, this relational, intimate connection with your heavenly Father who created you. That's amazing that you can be in relationship with the Creator. That's, that's awesome. So does God know what you need before you pray it? Yes. And He wants to hear from you still. But He doesn't want to hear your empty repetition, your fancy words. That's not what He's going after. So when you pray like the hypocrites, you're saying, like, God, you're not close enough. You can't really satisfy. When you pray like the Gentiles, you're saying, God's not real, so he can't be trusted. I need to help God know me and my needs. God needs a little extra help. Don't be like that. That's how people that don't know Jesus pray. So pray in secret. Pray with simplicity. And then Jesus is going to show his disciples how to pray in a way that you all have heard many, many times. It says in verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We call it the Lord's Prayer probably better to be called like Jesus model prayer. Like this is how he's teaching his disciples how to pray. Don't pr pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the Gentiles, but pray like this. Our father, hallowed be your name. Now hallowed, that's not a word we use very often, right? Ever. I, don't, I, I never use that ever unless I'm preaching this passage, right? But to hallow something, the request that you're making is, God, please let your name be honored. Let your name be revered. Let your name be valued and treasured and loved. And everything is about treasuring God here. And everything else in this model prayer hangs on that. Our Father in heaven, like you be esteemed. In my life, in my prayer life, I want you to be honored. I want you to be treasured. But how often do our prayers start that way? Our prayers usually start, God, I need this. Can you help me with this test? Can you help me with this relationship? Please give me this. Please give me that. That is not how Jesus models prayer. He goes, Father, please let your name be treasured in my life. And please let your name be treasured everywhere. Because you're worthy. And the rest of the points in this all point to revering God's name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let your purposes take place in this earth. The angels in heaven are living this out. Like, let that same thing happen here. Give us this day our daily bread. Like, let those things be the things that sustain us. Like, God, give me what I need. Don't give me a surplus of it, though. Not give me what I want. God, hallowed be your name. Give me what I need so that I can show the world how valuable you are. Give me daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. God, pardon my sins. Forgive my sins. And that happens through Jesus. God, forgive our sins. And when you forgive our sins, it's going to overflow in us forgiving other people. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
God, please lead us away from temptation that might turn evil. Because God doesn't tempt anybody. God may test you. Satan tempts you. And what he's saying is pray for all those circumstances, all those events in your life that could be tests of your faith, that could be trials. But if you allow Satan to use them, they may turn into great temptations to not hallow Jesus' name. Please lead me away from that, God. Please. These, all these requests that they're making, we're making in this when we pray like this, are all so that God's name would be honored. That's where our prayer life should start. God, you be honored. You be honored. Give me what I need to honor you. Help me to forgive other people because that's going to honor you. Forgive my sins because that's going to honor you. Lead me away from temptation and deliver me from evil because that's going to honor you. Not that's going to help me win the football game if I just pray that right before the football game, right? Because when we hear this, like, it's kind of like vain repetition, like the Gentiles, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, thy will be the name of the King, come, will be. You just start, like, you start saying it before a game, before a sporting event. You're like, I don't even know what they just said. It was a bunch of, like, babbling. It sounds like the Gentiles. They just heaped up empty phrases. And it wasn't about that. They just wanted to be seen. They were living for something less than the honor and glory of Jesus. Guys, the purest of our practices can become diluted by our impure motivations. So pray like Jesus, not the hypocrites, not the Gentiles. What prayer does is it says, God, you are ultimate, and I can't do this life without you. Not, God, you're not close. I think I need somebody else's attention to satisfy me. Or God, I don't think you're real, so I don't think you can be trusted. What true prayer like Jesus does, it says, Jesus, you're ultimate. You're everything. You are absolutely everything. So I'm, I can't do anything else in life but pray because I don't have any hope without you. That's why I'm praying. I'm dependent upon you. Guys, I'm going to say the main thing I want you to grasp again. How you pray reveals what you live for. How you pray reveals what you live for. You show me what your prayer life is, I'll show you what you believe in and depend on. Because if all your prayers are me, 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 help me in this situation, help me with this relationship, it's going to say, I think life's about me. When true prayer, the way that Jesus prayed, says, God, it's all about you. But guys, I need you to know that your righteousness doesn't come from praying great prayers. Your righteousness comes from Jesus. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. There we go. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from doing all these practices the right way, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So where's the righteousness going to come from? Your great prayers? No. Even great prayers done in secret? No. Even simple prayers? No. Your righteousness, the only way you get righteousness, guys, is through what Jesus did. Don't miss that tonight. Do not miss that. You cannot be righteous on your own. So what do you do with a sermon like this? I'm going to give you two things practically to do. Number one, I want you to take inventory or audit your prayer life. All right? So you're going to say like, okay, when I pray this week, what am I praying about? What kind of words am I using? Where do all my prayers start? So I want you to just take inventory and see like, is everything like, are all my prayers like me-centered? Because that may say, you know what? Not only are my prayers me-centered, but my life is me-centered. So take an inventory of your prayer life. And then really practical, this is not the only way to pray, but a practical thing you can do this week Start all your prayers with, God, you are blank. Instead of, God, help me. God, I need. God, you are holy. God, you are good. God, you are gracious to me. Grace, God, you are a forgiver. God, you are merciful. So take an inventory of where your prayer life is and then start your prayers this week with, God, you are this. Because that's the kind of prayers that Jesus prayed. Hallowed be your name. Guys, if you all could grasp this, man, the idea to not be seen by other people, can you imagine how content and secure you would be not having to live for the approval of other people? And you go walk on all the campuses around this community, and they're like, man, those people are free. Those people, like, they're not worried about other people. They're, they're free to serve. They're free to worship. They're free to pray because they're just content. That's the kind of people that I want you guys in Salt Company Cedar Rapids to be. Not a group that's impressive to be seen by other people, but a group that honors Jesus with the way they pray. Let's pray. God, you are awesome. Your word is true. And Lord, tonight I pray that the truth of your word would penetrate deeply into our hearts. Father, may every single person in this room, myself included, may we revere your name. May we honor your name with the way that we live. May we honor your name with the way that we worship. May we honor your name with the way that we pray. God, you deserve that kind of life because you are holy, you are righteous. And God, tonight we thank you for the righteousness that we have in Christ. May we live out of that righteousness and practice that righteousness, not for our own approval, not so that other people's would, 
people would see God, but so that you would be glorified. That's the kind of people we want to be. Pray this in Jesus' name.